It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Today is another edition of Frontline Friday with my very special guest, Bridget Gleason. Bridget, how are you this morning? I am doing great. How are you, Andy? Good, good. So it wouldn't be a Frontline Friday if we didn't start with a little weather update. How are things in the Bay Area? Bay Area is beautiful today. Beautiful. We had some rain earlier in the week, but it's clear and sunny and beautiful day. Yeah, we're here about toward the end of March recording this. And um, yeah, New York City, it's mid-50s, sunny, supposed to be 70 tomorrow and rainy, which is feel just like spring. So I'm sure that's a sign that we have yet another snowstorm on the horizon somewhere. Oh, just okay. when it starts to feel like spring. I was talking to somebody in Denver yesterday and a uh, woman on my team and it had been 70 degrees on Tuesday and they had 17 inches of snow yesterday. You know, it's. I have a team in Denver also, and one of my guys there said the same thing, that 70 degrees and then a blizzard couldn't get in. So, Oh, yeah. It, I, she had had like the umpteenth school day or snow day for her kids. So, God, my kids would have loved to have been there. <laughs> that's what they live for. Growing up in California, they didn't get snow yeah, days. No snow so days. They always thought that that would be, that sounded so glamorous and interesting. Well, I grew up in Wisconsin, and I just remember my, I think my junior year of high school is we had so many snow days, they finally had to stop letting them be snow days because the you know state funding equation, apparently, in terms of how many days you have to hold class to get qualify for state funding. So they would just open the doors to school, and literally no one would be there except for the handful of us whose parents insisted that if school's open, you're going. So <laughs> I had My parents would have done the same thing. I had several days where it's me and a few of the teachers, and that was about it at school. So, anyway, so let's, uh, we're going to turn the tables today in this episode. We're actually, Bridget's going to be the one asking the questions, and, and together we'll be discussing the answers. But she's putting me on the spot today as opposed to me always putting her on the spot with questions. I love it. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I love it. Thank <laughs> so you. So, welcome to today's edition of the Bridget Gleason Show. Yes. Okay. Am I, are you ready? I am ready. Go. Okay. So the first one, Andy, that I've been curious about is you talk to sales leaders in a variety of industries and verticals and geographies and mm -hmm. situations. What are what are the most pressing things that they ask you? What 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 trends do you see? What themes keep reoccurring? regardless of, again, sector, geography, industry size. What do, you, what do you keep hearing? What's consistent? Well, one of the biggest issues that uh, I hear consistently is about hiring. How do, I, how do I identify and hire the best people? And it's really problematic for, for lots of companies. I think if you look at sort of the scale from you know, large enterprise with a lot of process and a lot of... Um, well, a presumption of rigor in their hiring in their hiring processes, down to smaller enterprises, that you know you've got this wide, wide range uh, instead of the rigor that they apply to it, 
And so I see it traditionally as smaller enterprises, smaller businesses really struggle because they have a hard time putting this process into it. They tend to hire much more in emotion and, um, you know, somebody that just sort of feels good when they walk in. They think this person, I had one client years ago, I remember he, really his, his qualification was, you know, the, this is back when people dressed up to sell is how good the person looked in a suit when they came into the office. And I, huh. and I said to that, I said, you know, art, that's not a, that's not really a, a very reliable indicator of how well the person's going to do and, and saying that gently to him at first, but you know, he began to sort of get it right. So it's, it's help helping people sort of stop hiring either people. They just feel really comfortable with for some reason, because maybe they fill a, a gap or they perceive them to fill a gap in their own shortcomings. Right. So I mean, a lot of times CEOs and smaller enterprises is, yeah, I'm not very good at sales. So if somebody comes in and they're really sort of, you know, prototypically salesy, they think, ah, you know, that we're, we're a compliment. So that's the type of person I want to hire. And obviously it doesn't work out very well. So what, what I do when I work with companies and, and I know you've done this as well is, is you have to, even no matter the size of the enterprise, you have to bring some degree of process. And I, I like to use the word rigor to the interview process. Um, in terms of just starting with how you screen candidates, once you get the resumes on the phone, how you interview when they come in, how you validate the claims they make on the resumes, and how they, you really test to make sure that they have the skills and the knowledge that they claim they do, and the skills and knowledge that you know they need to have in order to be able to sell to your customers. And that's a big challenge. So I, I think hiring is the number one, number one issue. You know, it's it, it's interesting. I I would agree with you. I think about just. I mean, we. I've had that issue, or that's been top of mind in any of the sales leadership roles I've had as well. And I think the you can put a process in place and have this rigor, but what a lot of people struggle with, and I'd love to get your take on this as well, is what am I screening for? Mm-hmm. What are the qualities and what are the things that make someone successful here? And skill versus culture. It's it's interesting. I had dinner with last night with the CEO of a small company and another one of the board members who's a VC here in Silicon Valley. And he advises, this company is still less than 100 people. He said, you've got to relook at, at your hiring every 20 people. Mm-hmm until you're about mm, 300 to 500 and then the number goes up but things change every about every 20 when the company is small and i thought that was also really interesting this isn't something that you just set and forget so here's no, it's, hiring it's not. profile and then that's it but how do you coach and guide leaders to come up with this profile that then they want to go screen for. How do they how do they come up with that? Well, that's a, that's an excellent question because, as you said, it really is a moving target, and so you really are hiring for you know a moment in time. I wouldn't say a moment, but a period of time. Let's say because you and I have both been through a lot of high growth venture funded companies where we've seen that that the people that came in early some percentage of them couldn't grow with the company and they were really good at what they did up front. And then it really felt bad having to tell these people who had made a a contribution early on, but weren't able to make the contribution at the next phase that, 
you know, they're going to have to move to a different role or sometimes even transition out of the company. And so you're absolutely right that it's sort of, you know, you have these phases. And then to me, one of the real critical things to do is to not, depending on the position, is especially in sales, is don't overhire early on. And so I, what I mean by that is a lot of times, especially in smaller companies, is the first tendency is when they're scaling sales is let's hire a VP of sales. And mm. to me, that's not a good idea, right? So what I want to do is I want to find somebody that's an individual contributor up front that's going to go out and actually make the calls that need to be made. Because a lot of times you hire somebody that's in a management role. What they want to do is they want to build a, a structure because that's what they've been trained to do. Right. But what I want to do is I want to, I want to build a process I want to see how we actually sell this, who buys it. And yeah, I remember reading the story, which you know, I presume is sort of apocryphal in its, in its nature, but it talked about a uh, landscape architect that was hired to design a green space for a university. And he comes in and spends months moving dirt around and <laughs> plants and grass planting and so on. And the day comes for the big reveal and the administrators come out and they look at this beautiful green space and they, somebody says, well, there's one problem. There's no sidewalks here. And the landscape architect said, well, we're going to wait and see where the students walk for a year. And then we're going to put sidewalks there. And so for me, that's, that's sort of how you <laughs> determine, you know, how you hire somebody is, is, or who you're hiring at the right time is see where the people walk first, right? See what your customers are doing, see what you're actually selling. And that's going to give you an indication of the type of people you need to hire and when. So I think that's, that's I love that analogy. I mean, that story about the, the landscape architect and seeing where people walk first, I think is very apt and appropriate in this yeah, situation. Because so we see this all the time where people hire the wrong person for the job and they may outwardly have some of the skills and it may be through no fault of their own, but they just end up not being a match for what you end up selling. Because, you know, as, as you're in early stage companies, the target sometimes changes. Not sometimes, it always changes. Right? You have a vision of what it is you're selling up front, but once you actually get out in the market and see what people are willing to buy and what they're willing to pay for it, that can change. Yeah, I, I, it, it does change. It, 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 I would completely agree with that. I also tell VPs of sales and, and actually CEOs who I advise that they, they kind of need to get comfortable with that, that it may take a few versions of of let's say a sales leader mm -hmm. over a period of time because the company's changing the product's changing and they shouldn't consider that a failure or abnormal it's it would be very unusual i think to be able to find uh, a sales leader early on let's say when the company is you know sub 30 employees mm -hmm. that's going to be able to stay with you to 300 it's there's so many changes and, and not that many people can grow and adapt just as the company does that. And that's OK. Yeah. Well, I, I look at myself. I mean, I'm when I was in those those venture funded companies and those startups. Yeah, I was the yeah, I was the, the zero to 50 sales guys manager. Yeah, you know, that was that's what I specialized in. You know, a lot of times I came into companies that sort of stalled out and really needed to be able to create some momentum back in the marketplace. You know, like the investors were pretty antsy about it. And, you know, I could do that. And that was, that was my, my strength. And uh, building up that initial team, making that happen, being very focused, 
capturing big deals and we need to capture big deals to really do the sort of step function and growth in the company. But when it really became really process laden, yeah, I wasn't, that was, I was, I wasn't the guy mostly because I sort of think I got bored by that <laughs> and was looking for that next, you know, next early stage thing to do. Um, but yeah, there's someone better qualified at that point. So yeah, everybody has their own stages that they're really good at. Well, and I think it's important to know, it's important to know what you're good at and, and have a good, healthy appreciation of your strengths and also your limitations. Well, I think it's an important lesson for people that are listening to this. They're saying, look, yeah, maybe looking for that next opportunity as you know, we do in sales and our careers is that once you, if you really know what you're good at, then it becomes much easier to be the candidate that people are interviewing because you've got that enthusiasm, that passion for that particular thing. And if you try to position yourself as all things for all people are all, you know, you're all things for all stages, mm. it doesn't come across as credible. Right. Okay, so Andy, now another question. Sure. What questions should they be asking that they don't ask? When they're interviewing. No, no, no. Just in when you go and are t- talking to sales leaders across the country, oh, industry, oh, right. geographies, et cetera. So they often ask about hiring. Yeah. Is there anything that they don't ask that you're struck by, wow, this isn't on their radar and should be? Yeah, and it's one topic you and I have talked about before, and it's it's really about sales productivity. Is that I think that people have a very imperfect understanding of what that is, and so you and I have talked about this, and and maybe you know, people have remember as we've talked is that that sales productivity really boils down to the end of the day as you know, you're a salesperson, you have so much time you can sell, so you have to measure productivity in sales like you measure productivity in in the economy in general, which is what's your unit of output for, you know, unit of input that's invested. So what's, you know, how many dollars do you produce uh, in a manufacturing line based on, you know, one investment of uh, an hour of labor? Well, similar in sales is, is, you know, at the end of the day, your productivity is all about how many dollars are you selling or revenue, how much revenue you're generating dollar wise per hour of sales time. And, Sales leaders don't understand this because they tend to think that, you know, as long as people are making quota, they're being productive. And to me, that's that's a performance indicator, but it has nothing to do with productivity. Somebody could be making quota, but not be very productive with their time. And so if you could improve their productivity in terms of how much dollars they're selling per hour of sale, actual sales time, then you begin to see a real, a real difference in terms of what you're truly capable of as an organization. Why do you think that's why do you think that's overlooked? Why doesn't that come up? It seems I think it, it'll it come somewhat- to the fore as we get more you know, now we're getting so much more data, right? Into into sales because all the technologies that exist to, to capture various aspects of our sales process. And I think that as we get more and more data, more and more people will get into that. I was I was fortunate early in my career to be in a situation where I was getting that data. I was being manually collected. But I worked in environments where uh, in a, a couple companies or more than a couple companies where we had to track all of our hours. Now think about that. I mean, as salespeople, you had to know, you had to tell me, you had to tell the company, we all had to tell the company how we spent basically every minute of our day. And there was I some, remember that. 
I yeah. had that. Yeah, it, but we actually it, turned in time cards. Do you know, it's, it was so funny. We were joking here on my team the other day about uh, time cards and about, uh, you know, because we were talking about productivity and how people are spending their time. So you reminded me of that also that, yeah, we had to, we had to account for, we had to account for all of our time. Well, but in our case, what we did is we not only had to account for the time, but given that these companies also did defense business on one hand is we had basically job numbers that were assigned to, in our case, to various large customer prospects we were working on and so on. So I, I knew as a manager, I was getting reports telling me basically how much time people are spending on all these various prospects. So I knew to the hour, you know, how much time that it took to move the prospect from initial point of interest to closing a deal. Hmm. And that is true sales productivity. So if I could look at two people and say, look, they're each closing a million dollar piece of business, but one guy was spending twice the number of hours. Well, what's the difference between the two? You know, was it purely the prospect or what were they doing themselves that was different? And then that became something you could start, you know, teaching and importing to other people or exporting, excuse me, to other people on the team. And so that, you know, I've always had that finite view of what productivity is, you know, very discreet view of what it is. And, um, I think once people begin to sort of latch onto that as a measurement tool, then we're going to see some real changes on how productive people can actually be. Because it's really focusing on what you're doing with every minute of time that you're interacting with the prospect as one, as well as time involved of you know producing proposals and so on and so forth. I mean, that's, that's time you're investing in that prospect as well. And technology that we're seeing coming on stream certainly helps with a lot of those, a lot of those functions. So we should be seeing already productivity improving, you know, because it doesn't take as much time to put together a contract. It doesn't take as much time for a contract to be reviewed oftentimes, given that we're, you know, we're using things like DocuSign and so on, where really don't lend themselves in a lot of cases to people marking up the contracts, right? So Andy, with all of these tools to help salespeople be more productive, and there are tons of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've, I've, I worked for Yesware, which was one such tool. Yes. So here are all these things that are, that are being created to help sales reps be more productive. Are they more productive? I don't think so. I think not. And I think that part of what, what we're seeing culturally within sales is this a real sort of tectonic shift that we really haven't had before because, yeah, there have been sort of slow introduction of technologies into the sales process, but now we're seeing a lot of new technologies come on and come on stream and available to companies, you know, not just tech companies, but anybody that's selling, is I think it's fundamentally going to change how sales is taking place and in a way that, yeah, ultimately it will drive productivity because what's going to happen is we're, we're going to have to flush some of these old myths about how sales takes place. And I'll just give you an example. I mean, one prevalent thing that still so drives me nuts is that salespeople have, and I've written about this, so salespeople have this conception that, well, geez, if, you know, if I give a prospect a proposal, I'm going to give them three or four days to look at that and then I'll get back to them. And it's like, really? Why? <laughs> I mean, if you've been doing your job, the proposal is no surprise to the prospect. You should, you know, he should have gone through that with them verbally before he even sent it to him. 
and you could certainly you know do that through a you know collaboration tool that exists or whatever is that you know you don't need to give them four days that's that's myth that's right that's as this i call it the indecent interval that you know people build into their selling and i think technology is going to enable us to get rid of some of these old myth things because people are going to be able to look at things review things more in real time if you've you know collaborated with them the way you're supposed to be collaborating with the prospect through the sales process the proposal i said isn't a surprise it's just putting down on paper what you've already told them i i love that the what did you call it the indecent interval yeah the indecent interval i'm going to use that that the indecent interval the the object the uh pushback I get from my team when I talk about um, you shouldn't ever give a prospect a proposal until you've reviewed it with them and there's an you know with certainty I shouldn't say with certainty 80% chance that they will accept it you you mm-hmm. you, you you feel good about it. that was always the the percentage that we used right and that there's there seems to be more resistance to connections and conversations when the sales reps pushing for it when they're trying to get these meetings they're trying to have this conversation there and in some cases i feel that they're some cases they they haven't done a good job controlling the sales process etc in some cases it seems like they've done a pretty good job but customers and prospects have so much more access to information they don't need the sales rep Mm -hmm. They don't need the sales rep as much. They can do a lot of the assessment right. on their own. Right. And it makes me think, kind of back to this question about are sales reps more productive? I mean, we've got all the tools to make them more productive. Are they more productive? It's tools in and of themselves it are not the things that are going to drive productivity, but it's the process and how we use them that's going to make the difference. And I think with the prevalence of all these new tools, we probably haven't fully um, figured out how to incorporate them into a, a sales process to, to kind of get to this, this balance of tools and technology and process to make reps truly more productive. Well, I agree. And that's why I was sort of referring to it as this tectonic shift, because I think it is, things are really shaking right now, right? And there's a lot of a lot of change in sales process. You know, look at the whole sales development model that SaaS companies are using and so on. You know, we've talked about this. That's going to change. That The way it is today and the way it's being implemented, is, in my mind, isn't sustainable. There, it's going to evolve to something that, that is better, that's a little more emphasized on quality over quantity. Because right now it seems purely lip service notwithstanding, purely a, a quality play or quantity play, excuse me. So yeah, I think I think it is. I think we're going to see. I think it's going to be one of the big changes over the next five years in sales is just as you said is how do we blend optimally blend the process and the technologies together to accomplish the task, which the primary task, which is to help the customer make a decision. You know, it's not to sell something; it's to help the customer make a decision. And if we can reach that, then I think yeah, I think productivity is going to going to increase. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating topic. Um, the last question I want to sure. ask, and this is one that also came up in this dinner I had uh, last night, that this VC was saying that he sees the most vexing, difficult issue 
that sales leaders of his portfolio companies have is around designing comp plans hmm. that really do what they want the company to do that are motivating. He just, his, and he's been in the business for a long time. And he just said, designing a good comp plan, he's always just found very, very challenging. And he hears that as a struggle. Yes. What would you say about that? What is what is your comment? Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, yeah. It's always it's always a struggle, and I think the, and I think in in the world that the investor operates in, it's it's made more difficult by the fact that again, just as I said, is that so many of the sales models are predicated on quantity versus quality, and you have this you have this this inherent conflict is that on one hand you want to incent people to you know, make the number of contacts they they need to make and make the number of calls they need to make. But those don't necessarily align with the way the customer wants to buy. Mm-hmm. And so at some point you have to be able to reconcile that. And I think that is, I think that is the big problem in, in that space. I think otherwise, you know, as people, what big problem I see with the enterprise I deal with is it's, it's so top down that they don't, I think when you design a comp plan, yeah, you can start with a top-down goal, but then you have to look at your plan and build it from bottom up and say, hmm, you know, is there logic, inherent logic in here? Does the logic all fit together? Because the problem I see is you know, a top-down goal will be unrealistic on the face of it. And then you can design any comp plan you want, and if the top-down goal is just unrealistic, yeah, you can it motivate. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can motivate all everything you want, but it's just not going to happen the way you want. So you really have to align, you know, how the customer is buying, how they want to buy, what you want the customer to buy, and yeah, you know, be very realistic about how you reconcile that with with what your top line goals are. Yeah, it's we. You and I could spend an entire session on comp plans. That's that seems to be a. It, it's a hot topic. It's a big topic. It's one that is really important for a company to get right, a sales leader to get right. Um, Sales reps want it to be right. And to have that alignment is, I think, really, really challenging. It is. It is. And why don't we do that? We'll spend a future episode. We'll talk about compliance. I'm sure people like to like to hear about that. So, but for today, I think that was the last question. We have uh, running a little short today because both you and I are sort of pressed for time with something coming up but uh we'll be back next friday with a new episode of frontline friday with my special guest bridget gleason who was the host of the show today and thank you very much for the questions and i like turn the tables okay we'll do it so again anytime we want to do that i love turn the tables andy <laughs> it was uh interesting for me as well all right well good well again thanks everybody in the audience friends thanks for listening and we'll look forward to talking to you next friday thanks for listening to the show If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.